I think that when it comes to religion, um, sometimes it can be a deterrent from seeking means of alternative health care. And sometimes those alternative health care methods can be the breakthrough that you need to actually see some change in your life, you know? And for me, I know that my faith had been a hurdle, you know? It wasn't something that was helping me. Um, it was something that was holding me back. So, you know, now I tell people, you know, believe whatever makes you better, but don't choose a spiritual cage. You know what I mean? If, if you practice a faith that doesn't allow you to do things that make you feel good and do things that make you feel freer and more liberated and reduce the stress, anxiety, and depression that you're feeling, then maybe that's not the right, you know, the right faith for you. You know what I mean? But if it works for you, then fine. But if it doesn't, there's lots of different ways in which you can honor um, the sacred and divine that you come from. That was Kenya Jackson Salters, and you're listening to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette, episode 180. Welcome to Real Talk Radio with Nicole Antoinette. That's me, the podcast that's filled with refreshingly honest conversations about the wonderful mess of being human. I'm so excited to introduce you to today's guest and to dig into our conversation that's all about forgiveness, alternative healing modalities, journaling prompts, and ideas for developing your own spiritual practice. But before we get to that, I would love to say a big thank you to the 400 plus people that are in our Patreon community. I love you all. It's your contributions of $1 or more per episode that literally make this entire show possible. This is a 100% listener-supported show with no ads or sponsors, which you probably know by now, which means that these conversations are financially supported by awesome, regular people just like you. You can join us and learn more about all the fun bonuses that you get as a community member over at patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. Your financial support is what will allow me to keep making three new episodes per month, and it pays everyone involved in creating the show. That includes me, as well as my sound engineer, Adam Day. Hi, Adam. And every single one of my guests. Now that our community has met the funding goal that makes it possible for me to pay each and every guest, it means that the folks whose stories you love are indeed getting paid for the time that they spend talking with and teaching us. And here at Real Talk Radio, higher rates are always paid to our guests of color, as well as our queer and trans guests and others with traditionally marginalized identities. Our current funding goal, which I'm hoping to meet before the end of the year, will allow me to have full transcripts made of all future podcast episodes. This is a super important step in making the show more inclusive, as having written transcripts means that these conversations can be enjoyed by folks regardless of whether or not they consume audio content. So to learn more about the funding goal, to join the community to help us reach it, one more time, it's patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette. And now, let's dive right into today's episode. Today, you'll get to meet Kenya Jackson Salters. Kenya is a master workshop facilitator, certified Reiki master, and four-time published self-help author who is known for her unique brand of non-traditional self-help. Most recently, she has blended the health benefits of exercise, meditation, and writing to form a custom personal development experience for women called the Outdoor Journal Tour, which provides clarity, healing, and connection. In this episode, Kenya tells us all about the work that she does as a healing practitioner. We talk about the different modalities she specializes in, like Reiki, as well as the evolution of both her spirituality and career from childhood to now. She shares details of her own daily spiritual practice, favorite journaling prompts, and so much more. We also talk, of course, about the Outdoor Journal Tour, which is the meditative outdoors experience that Kenya created with her wife, Michelle, and which I was lucky enough to attend myself earlier this fall. 
We cover so much in this conversation, mental health, healing, belonging. And on the other side of it, I feel like I have more tools for my own wellness and care, which is kind of a relief, to be honest. I'm just so grateful to Kenya for everything that she shared. And I hope that you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. So all of that starts in just a moment, and as always, you'll be able to find all the links and resources mentioned in this episode over in the show notes at realtalkradiopodcast.com. All right, we are good to go. Kenya, welcome to the show. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having me. We met a few weeks ago here in Bend at the Adventurous Women's Escape uh, Retreat for Outdoorsy Women. That was so much fun. And one of the hilarious and wonderful things that you and I bonded over is our mutual love of showering. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Favorite thing to do. It's so good, right? (laughs) Yeah, it really is. It's my my favorite thing to do for real. I feel, so are you a bath person or more of a shower person? So I am not a bath person. So I, the way our home, the way our home is, we um, have two bathrooms and my bathroom is a bathroom with the shower in it. So I don't even have a bathtub to, to bathe in. So I only have a shower, but I prefer to shower anyway. I don't, I haven't probably bathed since I was like a kid, like eight or something like that. (laughs) Interesting. Because I love taking baths. I mean, hot water in general, I feel like that's my love language. Like give me the hot water and we're good. I'm going to sit in it. And yeah, yeah, taking baths and watching things on Netflix. Like I put the laptop, you know, propped up on the closed toilet and get in the bubble bath and I eat snacks in the bath. Like I love taking baths. (laughs) Oh, wow. Really? (laughs) Yeah, I do. Um, it's been one of the hardest things about moving into a small van is no longer I, I joke with my friends that I need Tinder, but for bathtubs. So. Right. Can I come over and get in your bath? Too? Right. Which yeah. like always sounds creepy. So yeah. <laughs> or rather anyone who's going to say yes to that off the internet is probably yeah. not somewhere I want to be. <laughs> Don't trust them. Don't trust them. They don't, they don't have your best interest at heart. Um, so set the scene for me. Where in the world are you? What's the view from where you're sitting? Tell me everything. Um, okay. So I am in Atlanta, GA. Um, I'm sitting on my on my couch, My, my one of my favorite places at my home. We have this huge sectional couch. I mean, you know, part, we want to get another house to live in, but we're worried because the couch is so big and we don't know what other place we could fit it in. So I love this couch. I sit on it all the time. I sleep on it sometimes just because when I was a little kid, I wasn't allowed to sleep on the couch. And now I'm a grown up and it's my house, so I can. Um, so sitting on my couch, looking out my window, we've got a lot of really beautiful trees right outside of our home. Actually, as soon as when you look outside in any of the windows, there's two windows in the door and every place you look, it's just trees, trees, trees. You can't see anything else but trees. So that's awesome because I'm inside and I'm still surrounded by nature. So um, that feels great. Uh, my heater is here. I think when I, when I was with you in Bend, I had my space heater. I always have my space heater with me. It's like I call it my emotional support heater. So I've got that going on and I love the, the hum of that and the way it kind of makes the space really cozy, incense burning. It's just a really, you know, nice chill, comfortable vibe. I don't know if you meant that literally, but I just gave you a whole like 
rundown of what I'm actually sitting on and what I'm actually looking at. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. That is exactly what I meant. Um, that okay, sounds incredibly perfect. cozy. The space heater thing. I know that's so funny. I felt so bad for you when obviously cause you guys came out from Atlanta and then, um, you know, we had this freak super early season snow here in Bend the last weekend of September and it was so cold. It was cold, man. But you know what? It's, it's 82 degrees in Atlanta. I run my heater all year. It doesn't matter what, it doesn't matter how hot, or how cold I just it's just something that I've been doing for years and so I always have it on even when it's you know uh, 90 degrees in Atlanta I always have it on that's so funny well it was 23 Mm -hmm. degrees here this morning and the the doors of my van were iced shut so you win (laughs) oh goodness oh goodness gracious we're gonna get you a battery operated space heater I know right I need my own emotional support support heater (laughs) Um, so this, I guess, might be a strange place to start, but um, it was so much fun to dig through more of your work in preparation for this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to start by asking you about the seven-day forgiveness challenge that you created, mm-hmm. because I feel mm-hmm. like forgiveness is a topic that I honestly don't feel – I don't know if maybe it's just not talked about in like circles that I'm in, but I just don't think that it's talked about enough, especially when it comes to – like things where you have to forgive yourself. And so I'm just, I don't know, I'm kind of curious, what was it that led you to create that course? Oh, um, okay. <laughs> so uh, 2014, uh, Michelle and I had a house fire. Um, and our entire, uh, the, the space that we lived in was no longer and was no longer habitable once the fire was done doing its thing. And um, I found myself really upset, you know, very upset, very disappointed, angry at God. I mean, we were displaced. We had to go to a couple different hotels. And I'm not sure if you guys are, if you all remember, but in 2014, um, we had that snowmageddon situation here in Atlanta. And um, that same day that we had Snowmageddon, um, we were told that we had to leave the hotel that we had been staying in, right? Because there were so many people coming in from um, that were stuck in Atlanta because of the snow. So the, the, the hotel needed the space and we were a uh, insurance company, you know, case. So they were like, you get out of here because we can get people that'll come in here and pay full price for this room. So you leave. So we get stuck in traffic. We finally get we our new place is available. Our new unit that we actually live in now is available, but there's nothing in it. We don't have any furniture. Um, we did have heat, um, but like no electricity. Like it was a really, really cold, crappy situation. And I remember writing a poem and it was like sometimes good, bad things happen to good people. And then I said, sometimes bad things happen. And then I put sometimes things happen. And I remember like the, the, the poem when I, when I published it, cause I wrote that in this empty, cold, you know, uh, apartment and that we were in. And I remember when I wrote it and I finally published it, I had such a, a level of like, uh, catharsis there. Right. Because I knew that I had been holding this whole house fire as why would something like this happen to me and my family? It's not fair to us. This is wrong. Bad things are happening to us. We're good people. And when I remove the judgment out of it and the the idea that I'm a good person, so my life should be this way, 
day, it really helped me to open up my mind about how many other times in my life that I've done that, right? Mm. How, how many times in my life have I had a situation that occurred and then judged it because of who I think I am and because of who I think somebody else is and because of what I think should be happening in the world and was holding that judgment, you know, against other people, against other communities, against other populations, against other, you know, fill in the blank. And so the seven day uh, forgiveness challenge came from that. And it goes for seven days, you're forgiving events, you're forgiving other people, you're forgiving yourself, you're forgiving, you know, experiences. Um, and, and the last day is the self forgiveness day, but you go through all these different levels of, you know, how you're holding the experiences that you've had. And um, I find that it's very, very, very uh, liberating because a lot of people don't even think about where they're holding the resentment or who they're holding resentment against. Um, so it's, it's, it's actually our best uh, selling course as well. We've sold a shit ton of those. Interesting. I mean, people. that doesn't surprise me because like I said, I feel like it's such an important and such a universal topic and yet just isn't really talked about that much, especially in mm -hmm. terms of the how, right? Like, I think it's one thing to say, you have to forgive yourself. But then I'm like, okay, but how, like, what, now what? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, but the first thing is you have to figure out what you're mad at yourself about. And that's the reason why, like, you know, with a lot of other forgiveness work, you'll still people like, who's the person that hurt you? Write them a letter of thanks, you know, and that kind of thing. And it's, you know, no, no shade to any of that. But for us, like I start off with forgiving events because at the, for most of us, we are we we know we're very aware of the way that we may be holding things against other people. It's it's a little bit more difficult to think about the experiences in our lives that we've had that we're that we're angry about. You know what I mean? So when I think about the bitterness that I have, you know, or that I had in 2014, it wasn't at a person. It was at this thing that happened to me that was wrong. So how many times do we have things that happen to us that we feel like this was wrong? You know, um, I was grew up poor. So even, you know, having a, you know, thinking about that, like forgiving the experience of being poor, you know, whose fault was that? What did that look like for me as a kid? You know, how do I forgive that experience of, you know, not having what I felt like I should have as a kid. Like, so we, we start there to kind of take your mind out of this, like us versus them thinking about you and some other person that you're mad at some ex or some parent and, and using a much larger scale, you know, then we can whittle, 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 whittle down to the self. And I think that it, it becomes easier for people to realize like, Oh, I was mad at, you know, poverty. I was mad at, you know, this house fire, you know? Um, so it has been, I feel like it's been beneficial because of that. Yeah, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. I mean, even the example that in the story that you told about the house fire, I feel like it resonates with me so much the questioning of, you know, why did this happen? And we're good people. And like, right. I find sometimes this tendency to like, to try to make something mean something when actually it's just a thing that happened. And right. I, like that is freeing for me sometimes to, there isn't always a deeper layer, I guess is what I'm saying. You know, sometimes oh, sure. shit just happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, clearly, I think I need to to buy that course. So <laughs> that that's my action step after this. Um, so I'm really interested in talking about all the different facets of your healing work, starting with your certified Reiki master. Can you explain what that means for folks who don't know? For sure, these. So Reiki is an ancient energy uh, manipulation method. So it comes from uh, chakra work. 
And your chakras are these energy centers that are all throughout the body. Uh, Some texts say that there are seven. Some texts say that there are 12. But in modern Western society, we talk more so about seven, seven chakras. And there are these energy kind of centers located in your body. We um, the word chakra means spinning wheel. So it's like. Um, so say like if you close your eyes and you, and you envision seven places on your body that have like these little energy vortexes where certain types of energy rotate. Reiki is the, uh, practice by which you open and clear those energy centers. So, uh, something that's very popular, people will hear something, you might hear the word third eye, like we've heard like third eye wisdom or you know, thinking with your third eye, which is the space right between your two natural eyes, right in the middle, that's considered to be your third eye. And that, that eye is supposed to be an eye of wisdom. It's an eye of intuition. It's an eye of, um, understanding. It's an eye of a deeper knowing. So if your third eye or any of your chakras are, will be considered to be blocked or if they're compromised in any way, there are a whole host of like physical and psychological symptoms that you will experience. So, this even with the example of the third eye, because I think more people have probably heard about that. If your third eye is blocked or that chakra is is under functioning, you may find that you don't trust your intuition. You may find that um, you just are kind of in this state of indecisiveness all the time. Don't really know what to think. You may feel foggy. You may have trouble being quiet or being silent with yourself. Um, things like that. And so what a Reiki master is trained to do is we're supposed to come in and we will place our hands in certain places on the body and um, through uh, it's there's a series of mental exercises that we go through um, while we're doing that. The um, idea is that we're able to to open or, you know, kind of spin those chakras back into alignment. But it's it's more just about like it's energy manipulation with the hands and a series of mental exercises that the Reiki master is doing. I hope that makes sense. I know it sounds super creepy. No, but it's, it's not. It, it makes it makes total sense. And I mean, I'm more familiar with it maybe than some folks listening. But no, it, it definitely okay. makes sense. I feel like that was a great explanation. I have a thousand more questions. Um, okay. So uh, do you remember the first time that you had a treatment like that done to you? Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about what that experience was like on that side of it? Oh, absolutely. So it was my 34th birthday and my lovely wife um, paid for me to get a Reiki session. And, you know, and I was skeptical. I had never had it done before. I didn't understand what was going on. And And I've been a traditional therapy, sit on the couch, talk about your feelings, girl, you know. So for me, this idea of having somebody hover over me with their hands was like, that's ridiculous. Right. (laughs) Um, but okay, you pay for it. Let's do it. You know, I'm open to alternative forms of healing and whatever's going to make me feel better. And, um, I went in and I remember, you know, I'm very in tune with the physical sensations of my body. And I'm also very in tune with just the way that I be, how I feel like what my normal, um, just energy is like. And this woman began to, do the Reiki and she starts at my head and I begin to see visions and I begin to hear things. And none of this is creepy. They're just very like calm and I can feel her. I can feel her pulling what it feels like is her pulling things out of me. And I had to go to the bathroom a bunch of times. Like I used the restroom three times in an hour. And she says, you know, you're going to be eliminating a lot. You're going to be, um, 
doing that. And so that was actually happening. But the thing that she did that I, that I would, that convinced me and what made me go become a Reiki master is because, um, I had a friend, a friendship that had ended maybe two years beforehand. And it was very traumatic for me. I did not want the friendship to end. I was very hurt about it. I was very still tied up about it emotionally. I thought about this friend all the time. I was always trying to be in her good graces. And I just felt so traumatized by the end of this friendship. And while she was doing the Reiki, she told me, she's like, I see that you have a soul tie here. Do you want me to break it? Now, I had not had any conversation with her about it. And I said, yes, please. I don't know who she's talking about, but I'm like, yes, break it. She breaks it. And literally from that moment on, I never had another thought about that person again. And I saw her. I didn't feel any anxiety when I saw her. I was around her and I felt like like nothing. Like it was like there was no pain. There was no sadness. There was no anything like that. And it literally happened in a moment. And I thought, okay, this is powerful. This is really amazing. And she, and, and that was really what convinced me was her ability to free me of that, that weight that I had been carrying around for like two years. And it wasn't even the reason why I was there. You know, it wasn't even the reason why I wanted to speak to her that day or I wanted to be with her that day. So, um, I thought I'd like to be able to liberate people this way. So that's wild. That was an experience. Yeah. It, it, I mean, I'm saying, and I've never like, you know, I'm not somebody who has ever, I've never blocked anybody in my life. I've never done any, I've never disconnected myself from anyone formally before. And after the Reiki session, I was, I, I blocked the young lady and I never ever, like, I just didn't ever think about it again, you know, not in the same way, not yeah. in the same way. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. sounds incredibly liberating. Yeah, it did. It feels great. Um, yeah. So now I'm afraid, like when I have other attachments, I'm like, oh, I could get it broken, but I don't know. Cause... <laughs> like, am I ready for the implications of this? Uh... Am I ready for the ray? Oh my gosh. Yeah. So um, what do you think are a couple of things that would are like a good fit for Reiki? Like things of like, oh, that might be a good fit for someone to, you know, go have this treatment done. Well, what I would say is, Definitely, if you're dealing with uh, issues of anxiety, I think that, you know, anxiety can be like an overabundance of thought, an overabundance of energy. I think that Reiki can kind of calm that down and redirect it. I also think that mental fog in general, Reiki can definitely clear up some of that mental fog because. OK, so let me just say that. And, and definitely I'm, I'm definitely for like the the heart stuff. So if you've got heart stuff, if you've got soul ties. A lot of uh, women are carrying a lot of soul ties around the sacral chakra, which is the um, I desire, I want reproductive center of the body based on, you know, uh, past lovers and breakups and those type of things. I feel like Reiki can be incredibly powerful with kind of releasing some of the energy there. And honestly, I mean, there is What's lovely about the practice of Reiki is it's one of the few times in life where you are you are at rest. Your body is at rest. Your mind is at rest. And someone else is working on you with the intention of healing you as you rest. And I think even just that experience in and of itself can be um, liberating and can increase feelings of just like self-esteem and worth because you lay there and you think, wow, this person is standing over me and they are, 
um, doing mental exercises. They are sometimes praying. If you ask that, they're doing these different things over my body. And they, their whole intention of being here is to um, heal and to um, and to create a safe space for me. That in and of itself is, you know, who 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 doesn't need that? Who mm-hmm. wouldn't want that? You know. But yeah. Yeah. So, and this isn't the only healing modality that you specialize in, right? No. Will you share some of the no. others? Well, I do Reiki. I am also a, a numerologist. So I like, um, I help people understand the um, sacred numbers in their lives by virtue of their birth and their name. I also do journal coaching, which is something that I kind of create. I'm not necessarily certified in that, but that's something that I've been doing probably, you know, I've been writing since I was 13 and I've been doing transformative and healing writing for at least the past 10 years. Um, so I do that as well. And I think those are probably be the, the big three. Those are the ones that I do when people come see me. We usually do a mix of Reiki, numerology, and some sort of journal coaching. Yeah, I was bummed that I missed your numerology workshop uh, at the retreat that we were oh, at together. It was lit. It was so lit. It was so lit. People had a really good time. I was so surprised because I, you know, we weren't there for that, you know. So it's always really interesting for me um, when we go places and I'm like, uh, we could try this. The weather wouldn't permit. Ben didn't want us to be great. So the weather wouldn't let us get outside that second day. So I was glad that I was able to do that because otherwise I don't know what we would have done. Yeah. Well, from what I heard from other folks, it was, it was incredible. Um, yeah, they had a good time. When it comes to like this healing work or maybe even spirituality, what was your upbringing like with, was this like a part of your childhood? Mm, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, my family is, a uh, Christian adjacent. My mother, okay, was Christian adjacent. So why do I say adjacent? I think that I think that if you asked my mom if she was still with us, she would say we were Christian. But we did not frequent church. Um, it wasn't something that we did when I was a little little kid. Um, when my mother passed away, um, I was twelve, and she had two years prior to that she had put me in Catholic school, and that was more so a function of, like I said, we were poor and the public school that I was in, um, there was violence and I got into a fight in fourth grade. My mother was like, absolutely not. So she put me in faith-based education. And then when she passed away, my aunt and my cousin who ended up getting custody of me, custody of me were incredibly religious, uh, much more religious than I remember them being before she passed away. Um, and so from that point on, very, very heavy into the Christian faith. Um, I went to faith-based uh, school all the way up until I graduated college. So, um, and deep, deep, deep into uh, the Christian faith. It wasn't until I moved to Atlanta at around 23 that I began to explore um, alternative methods of spirituality. And I discovered Buddhism and I discovered kind of meditation and and those types of things. But as a, as a, as a young girl, most of my upbringing was very heavy into the Christian faith. Yeah. What about the subject of mental health? Was that something that was talked about when you were younger? No. Mm-mm. Yeah. Um, Not at all. Say, yeah. Same for me. That wasn't, that was definitely something that kind of, I came into later in life. So I'm interested, you know, you said you moved to Atlanta and, you know, started be- being more open to and curious about some alternative things. Was there like, an inciting incident or just a curiosity kind of what led you down this, you know, sort of other path? 
Well, I mean, I had had severe mental health challenges as a teenager and as a young adult. Um, I had an incident about 15 where I destroyed a Calvin Klein store um, after a pair of jeans didn't fit. I and, and in hindsight, a lot of the violent outbursts that I were having was a result of not feeling of not having the, the appropriate mental health care from when I lost my mom. And so not knowing what to do with the anger, the depression, the sadness, the whatever. So I've, I had that experience at 15. I had another experience with attempted suicide around 22 before I actually came to Atlanta. So when I got to Atlanta, um, one of my first relationships, this um, her name was uh, Nisha, and she was very big into uh, traditional African faith. So um, she studied Egyptology. She studied Yoruba, which is one of the oldest uh, faiths on the planet. And um, she was very much into kind of teaching me about these ancient African faiths and, you know, the religion of our people is what she would say. And I was open to hearing it. Um, I wasn't necessarily interested in practicing it because it was so foreign to me um, from what I was used to from what I was used to doing. But over time, uh, probably between 23 and 25, when I started uh, especially exploring Buddhism more and finding that um, there was this emphasis on personal responsibility, there was this emphasis on being able to um, control your mind, being able to see circumstances as clouds in the sky and not becoming wrapped up in the drama of everyday life. I was really attracted to that because it gave me a degree of peace that I just had never had, you know, mm -hmm. um, struggling for years, you know, uh, with with Christianity, particularly with my sexuality and wondering if I was wrong, blaming myself for the mental health, you know, challenges that I had that I that I knew instinctively were not my fault, but still feeling very convicted um, all the time. And Buddhism gave me a way to feel like I was a whole and complete human being and also to feel like I had some control and some authority in my life and I wasn't just living out this, you know, um, just, just destiny that I had no control over. And so I found a lot of liberation and, and power in that. And I eventually, uh, about 26 or 27, decided that I would, you know, no longer consider myself Christian, but I would consider myself Buddhist and begin to practice that a little bit more. Um, extensively. Yeah. And then it sounds like that was kind of the first step that led you into a lot of these other things we've been talking about. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, what I found is that and, and, and you know, Buddhism is not, you know, the solution for everybody. And I'm, I'm definitely not anti-Christian. You know, when I did spiritual practitioner school, uh, we were trained in 10, 10 world faiths. So we learned about not just you know, one or, we learned about 10, 10 different ways in people with people worship. I think that when it comes to religion, um, sometimes it can be a deterrent from seeking means of alternative health care. And sometimes those alternative health care methods can be the breakthrough that you need to actually see some change in your life. You know, and for me, I know that my faith had been a hurdle. You know, it wasn't something that was helping me. Um, it was something that was holding me back. So you know, now I tell people, you know, believe whatever makes you better, but don't choose a spiritual cage. You know what I mean? If if you practice a faith that doesn't allow you to do things that make you feel good and do things that make you feel freer and more liberated and reduce the stress, anxiety and depression that you're feeling, then maybe that's not the right, you know, the right faith for you. You know what I mean? But if it works for you, then fine. But if it doesn't, 
there's lots of different ways in which you can honor um, the sacred and divine that you come from. It doesn't have to be one way. Yeah, I think that's incredibly well said. I just wrote down that term, spiritual cage. I think that, like, spe- it's yeah, it's this thing that's supposed to be for your well-being and supposed to be helping you, right? right? And if it winds up being yeah. something that feels imprisoning, like, that's something to interrogate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So around the time that you moved to Atlanta, I guess, like, earlier in your career, what were you doing work-wise around that time? I'm interested in sort of the evolution of your career path as well. Oh, so I am a trained nonprofit professional. So I got my my uh, secondary degrees in nonprofit management and policy analysis. And so I worked for a host of huge nonprofits here in the city. Um, you know, the real the really, really big ones. And I did that um, for until 2016. And um, so fundraising work, um, child development stuff, policy stuff, volunteer engagement stuff, but more so on the board development side program management, uh, grant administration, that kind of thing for eight, was it about, well, about 26? I came out of school in 2007. So no, like maybe 10 years I did yeah. that. Yeah. What mm-hmm. do you think makes you well suited to that kind of work? Um, I care. Um, I care. And I also think that I have a, my vantage point is, is very different. I think that the combination of my upbringing, um, where I'm from, my, my, the way I show up in the world, my personage, you know, the way I look, you know, the, the, the lived experience I have from being a, a woman of color that identifies as lesbian. Um, I grew up in a poor place. So, but I was never the recipient of, of these type of services because my intelligence put me in a place in school that always kind of plucked me out of what I saw my peers experiencing. Um, but I was still there. So I got a chance to see how sometimes a system can be um, unfair and biased, even when you're even when you're trying to provide a service to, to kids who are, quote unquote, unfortunate mm-hmm. or less fortunate or what have you. So I got a chance to see that and um, firsthand as a kid. And so as an adult, when I grew up, you know, I, I, I was able to exist in a very privileged space because of um, because of my intellect. You know, however, I still was a poor black kid. So Mm -hmm. I had the vantage point of both of those. So I knew what it was like on both on both ends. And so when I came into nonprofit, I kind of brought that experience with me of like, okay, we can do it like this. But I'm just telling you what's happening on the other end. Like I'm telling you how these other kids are being made to feel, you know. Um, And so it was good for me. It was good for me until it wasn't. Um, The nonprofit industry is very much still about money. And I think that's fine. Um, but it can be difficult for somebody who's like really got a heart for the work and you realize at the end of the day, it's still about money. And a lot of the programs that we have are inadvertently keeping the system broken versus trying to fix it. So that was something I could not synthesize anymore in 2016 when I decided to leave. Um, but, you know, yeah, which I was mean, tough. I think that that's also a really relatable experience of trying to decide whether or not to stay or leave an industry that you've been in for quite a while. And it sounds like it wasn't all bad, right? There were things that you loved about it, things that were a good fit, but then also things that were frustrating and challenging. I'm interested in what your decision-making process looks like for like, how do you make big decisions like this? Well, this decision was made for me. So this is, and that has been the, that has been I don't know what the word pattern, I guess, of my life. I think that, you know, I'm, I'm a very, very powerful manif- 
manifest or does that make sense? Creator, yeah. whatever word you want to say. And I think that I have intentions about something and I'll forget about it. And then, you know, a couple of years I'll be like, yep, I thought about that. So I think, you know, for me to leave, believe formal employment, it wasn't, it was gradual. I wrote my first book in 2013. And at the time I was a waitress, like at a club and, you know, had this master's degree and you're a waitress at a club. So that was already like incredibly humbling. I was having a very difficult time finding a job. And while I've had a really great, um, I, while I've been hired at lots of really awesome nonprofits, I've literally been fired from every job I've ever had for one reason or another, but it was never performance related. Right. So it was always like, oh, I was in a car accident and I couldn't come back to work. Oh, sorry, we got to let you go. I had, um, I was one of the orgs I worked for has a policy against homosexuals. It was found out that I was gay. So God, God let you go. So like, yeah, isn't that crazy? And it, it is legal and they can still do that. They can still freaking do that. Um, and they did it. So like I had all these experiences of being just fired. And, um, my last job in 2016, I literally had just done a Ted talk about my book that I had, um, written in 2013 and it kind of got, you know, some acclaim in 2016. I had just done this TEDx talk and my supervisor launches into this tirade about how, you know, she assumes I'm going to be so busy. I'm going to have so much stuff to do. I'm not going to be to focus on my job, you know? And she's like, you know, and so, um, we just, we just want to amicably just dissolve you. We don't, we just want, we just want to let you go and give you some freedom to leave. And she, um, I negotiated to get paid for an additional month once I left. And, uh, but it wasn't a firing. It was just kind of like, you know what? I feel like you need to go and fly. And, you know, with the energy of that Ted talk, I was like, yeah, let's do it. You know? And, uh, probably two months or so after that, uh, we were doing outdoor journal tour. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that that's an awesome transition because I definitely want to talk about the outdoor journal tour. Will you share what it is and why you started it? Sure. So outdoor journal tour is a hybrid health organization that combines the healing tenets of outdoor activity with introspective journaling and mindful meditation really, really great elevator pitch. But, uh, what we do is we take women outside and we do mindfulness exercises and mindfulness work in outdoor spaces. And, uh, you know, it was a complete mistake. You know, everything about the founding of the outdoor journal tour was a mistake. Um, so Kenya was stressed about, um, her job and (laughs) just my life, you know, it was like 2015 and I was super stressed just about like my place in life. And it's like, what am I doing? Who am I? Am I enough? You know, all those questions and having very, very, uh, serious anxiety at the time and, uh, went up to one of our popular, um, mountains here in Atlanta. It's called stone mountain, took a couple friends up and did this uh, meditation and exercise, you know, that I just had thought of. And I just really had said, Hey, four people that are my friends, y'all want to come with me. We're going to hike. And then we'll do some journaling and, you know, and we started doing a meditation and, and we closed our eyes and we opened our eyes. There were two people there that were not there when we started. <laughs> and I promise. And they were like, how do we join this program? And I was like, girl, you know, it's not, it's not a program, but my wife was there and she took their email addresses down and I thought to myself, well, maybe should it be a program? Like, you know, and that was in June 
of 2015. And we had our first, uh, quote unquote, we hike to heal in August. I love sort of the serendipity of, you know, things starting that you didn't even necessarily mean to start, right? Like you're just, you're doing your thing. And then all of a sudden these people are, how do we join this program? And you're like, I guess this is going to be a program. There's something like really nice about that. I've I've felt that happen in my own life too, that like if I'm willing to be awake to the questions that I'm being asked over and over, right? Or the things that Mm -hmm. people seem to want from me, like, okay, there's something here. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So will you talk a little bit about what the events are actually like to go to? Well, hmm. I think that they're really unique. Um, one thing that we really try to do is we, we try to seamlessly combine outdoor activity with mindfulness. And so from start to finish, it's very intentional about the conversations that we're having. We're intentional about the distance and the elevation that we're going because there is a there is an intention to kind of tire out the body a little bit so that the mind will be a little bit more open and that people will be more willing to share. And then we um, usually create some sort of sister circle experience where we have some conversation, some discussion, and then there's some journaling time and then oftentimes some quiet meditation afterwards. Uh, the topics and the exercises vary really depending on where my mood and depending on the mood and energy of the group. So I have absolutely come out and I'm like, I'm going to talk about forgiveness today. And then I'll listen to the conversation walking to where the location is. And I'm like, now nah, we're going to talk about relationships or no, we're going to talk about, you know, um, liberation or freedom. Um, so it's, it's, it definitely varies by person, location and time. I can't I can't even say, well, you came to one. So you can you probably can tell me more about what it feels like than I can. But yeah, we try to do what we can do to serve the ladies that we're with that day. Yeah. And I I feel like it was such a privilege to get to experience that with you when you were here. It was was wonderful. I I can't wait to do it again. And one of the things that um, I wanted to ask you about is the no recording policy that you have at your events. Yeah. So this was this was a challenge. okay, because. well, let me just say what it is, first of all. So one of the big reasons why Outdoor Journal Tour was important to me to, to do was because I felt like that that we needed to have a lower barrier to entry for mental health access. Right. And I'm not talking about like, you know, severely mental health, severely, excuse me, severe mental health issues like schizophrenia, you know, bipolar, when we sort of some of your really, really major, you know, personality and mood disorders. You know, that's one thing. Right. But one in 14 people in the world are suffering from like stress, anxiety, and depression, which a lot of times are very situational and don't necessarily have to do with like a larger chemical imbalance, right? It's breakups, it's stress of work, it's money stuff, it's weight stuff, it's, you know, a transition of of kids and, you know, these things that are very situational that cause like really, really um, intense fluctuations in our mood and our energy. And I wanted there to be a lower barrier to entry for women to come out and just like release and just talk and just journal. And, 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 and by no means is it a, um, a supplement for traditional therapy or for medication if you need that, but it absolutely is a complement to living a healthy lifestyle. However, what I also know is that people are really, really hesitant to talk about what they're going through. Um, we always feel like we're alone. We always feel like nobody else gets this but me. And beyond that, we're very protective of those things that we feel like make us vulnerable or, you know, quote unquote, weak. And I'm putting that in air quotes because, you know, that's relative. Right. So I wanted to make sure that if women were going to come out, if they were going to trust me, if they were going to trust Michelle, if they were going to trust each other and trust themselves 
that they could do so in an environment that was as safe as possible. And so when we go out um, and we have our sister circle moments, I do not allow any recording and I really prefer no pictures either, but I've been, I have been persuaded to allow pictures, but there's no recording because I do not want there to be any level of exploitation or any level of even record. There doesn't even need to be a record of it, right? I I want the women to feel safe and I want them to feel like they're actually in the moment and not just the person that's sharing, but also the people that are listening, right? Like be present, be here um, because this is where the healing is happening. Um, And so I've, I've, I've instituted that policy probably for the past three years and it has been really interesting because I've had lots of sponsors and lots of um, photographers who want to come out and see us and do things and they want to record and we won't. So if you've seen a video of us and there's people talking, it is staged from uh, people who have submitted their stories. But it's 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 we've never allowed anyone to record anyone's actual uh, no conversations or their quote unquote testimonies past couple years. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, it makes a, I don't know, like having a sort of a confidential space like that. I don't see it really working well if it wasn't. Well, but you know, so with this also a business, right? And so this is the reason why I've gotten some kind of pushback because people are like, well, what's it like to come out with you all? Mm -hmm. And we don't have anything to show people, right? Because we, we, we don't, we purposefully don't produce that content. But for this year, um, for We Hike the Hill 2019, um, when we go out uh, every year for We Hike the Hill, Atlanta, which is our flagship location, and then all the other locations that do it, they get We Hike, they get We Hike to Heal, um, uh, My Story of Healing cards. So we send those cards out to all the different locations and every woman on the hike has the opportunity to fill out a, a My Story of Healing card. The stories of healings are anonymous. People can send them back to us and um, we, we collect them. So what we did for 2019 is we had volunteers to come in and read the stories of healing cards that were submitted. Right. So we were able to kind of show in some in some way like, OK, this is the type of thing that was happening. These are the things that women were releasing um, when they were, you know, on this mountain or when they were, you know, on this beach because, you know, we're in all type of different climates um, in March of 2020, March of 2019. So that was our kind of like this is how we will be able to show what the experience is like. But as long as I am, you know, chief experience officer, there will be no videos of people, you know, pouring their hearts out and crying and talking about really personal issues. Yeah. It just ain't worth it. I, I mean, I appreciate you bringing this up because sort of this nuance of having a, you know, personal development or healing type of offering, right? Be also mm-hmm. realizing that it's a business. It's something like it's become sort of a joke for, mm-hmm. so I, um, host retreats as well. They're small. They're like six to eight people each and notoriously mm-hmm. terrible at taking photos, right? Like there are some retreats where I think the only photo I have is like the group picture we took at the end when someone else mm-hmm. reminded me to do it. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's in terms of like, you know, big events, you know, they have a hashtag and, you know, you're supposed yeah. to encourage people to be like posting and that they're having such a good time. And the experience that I want to create for folks is really like the opposite of that, where it's like, let's get off our right. phones actually and like do mm-hmm. this other kind of stuff. And it's become a joke with 
with, you know, some of the people who helped me put on these events of like, you should probably like think about marketing ever. And it's just such a funny like dichotomy almost that like the most immersive, like helpful type of experiences sometimes are the ones that like don't have, <laughs> you know, like the record kept of them. And it sounds like you yeah. can relate to that. Yeah. And I mean, I think that, you know, part of it is too, like, you know, and I could talk about this for hours. I mean, I think that the commoditization of the word heal, the commoditization of women's empowerment and this whole kind of narrative that we have now like so painstakingly crafted around what it looks like because of Instagram and Facebook and all these different type of things, in my opinion, is really hurting the craft, right? Um, I was at a domestic violence prevention think tank earlier in the year, and I will never forget this. And she asked me, is this a, um, is it a ministry or is it a industry? Like, are you in the healing ministry? Or are you in the healing industry? Right. And it, I was just like, wow, you know, and she wasn't asking that as an affront to me. She was just asking it as a question to everybody who was like in the room. Like, what is this about something that you want to do to help people? Or is it about you being in the industry? And, and, I, and nothing's wrong with being paid well for what you do do. I definitely don't think I don't have any objection to being paid when I when I go someplace to speak or I go someplace to teach. There is an honorarium. My books cost money. The courses cost money. You know, things cost money. I don't have a problem with that. But what I do have a problem with is purposefully exploiting people who trust me and who trust themselves for my game Mm -hmm. like that. It feels unnecessary. Right. So if people want to come out and they want to make the leap and they want to do some personal development and the personal development and exploration. We have plenty of testimonials. We have plenty of people who will attest to what the experience is like, but I, I am not willing to take these vulnerable moments and package them and put, you know, a soft voice and a stream babbling in the background, mm-hmm. you know, to create like an Instagram ad, unless it's staged. If it's staged, we'll definitely do that. But if it's not like, I just, I don't know. It just feels very disingenuous and it feels like taking advantage of people when they are in a vulnerable space. And I would have hated someone to do that to me. Yeah. So. I mean, I, mean I, I agree completely 100%. And I think that you just you know, spoke, spoke to that really well. But, you know, to your yeah. point, also, you deserve to be paid for the work that you do, right? So it's like you can't Fair. ignore that it's a business. Like, I, I think, I guess, like what I'm saying is that I'm grateful that you're being honest about this because I do think that it's more nuanced necessarily than, you know, than people think. And I think especially as, you know, women, I think sometimes there's this pressure to like, well, you're just, you know, supposed to want to be helpful and doing it for like, you know, the the feel good aspect of like being of service, like that should be enough, but also that doesn't buy you food. So it's more complicated than that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and like and like I said, I definitely don't have a problem, you know, charging for the experiences that we provide at all. Mm hmm. Yeah, at all. Totally. Um, What's Mm -hmm. your vision for the future of the Outdoor Journal Tour? Um, Lots of really fun things as far as vision goes. I mean, right now, um, We Hike to Heal um, is the largest uh, outdoor wellness, like multi-city type of thing that we got going on. So that's that is super dope. Um, we just want to continue to make that larger. So, um, we were in 36 locations this year. I've been saying for 2020, I want 50, um, locations. I think that that's an easy lift, everybody listening. So if you are in, if you are in a place and you walk or hike or jog or whatever, move your body, please, you know, contact us about being a hike lead for We Hike to Heal. 
So that's huge. We want we want that to be the largest property internationally for women and wellness and mindfulness. That is the vision for We Hike to Heal. And then, you know, I'm in the process now of working on coming up with a um, I don't know what the word would be. I want to be able to do specialized healing services for people that are based on certain markers within your personality. So I want people to be able to come in and work with us and we take into consideration um, your life path number, chakra systems, the ways in which you like to learn and all those different type of things and create a healing plan that's just for you and have like this like um, spa type wellness experience that you do that's like in-house oh and we've been working on that, that called please. the healing house yeah we've been thinking about that for years the healing house I really feel like that's going to be my legacy um so I'm doing that I'm writing some some more books I love writing books right I've got four so so far I have the ideas to do about 12 so I want to get those working but right now the biggest the biggest thing that we've got working is we hike to heal 2020 and trying to make sure that it is epic and that if anybody is in the outdoors or mindfulness space, they are hiking to heal on that last Saturday of uh, March. Like we need everybody doing it. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned um, that folks can reach out if they're interested in being a hike lead. Can you share what Mm -hmm. that entails or, you know, kind of what next steps would be? Sure. So the hike leads are really the lifeblood of We Hike to Heal. So the idea for We Hike to Heal is the the we is women everywhere hike to heal. And the idea is to get women outdoors same day of the uh, last Saturday of March, getting everyone out on the same day, right, in different locations. And so we need people in these different locations to say, I will get together with my organization. I'll get together with 10 or 15 of my friends and we'll go outside and we'll host a We Hike to Heal hike just to increase the visit to increase the visibility of We Hike to Heal for us to frequent some of the public lands and the national parks that are ours. And um, for us to just create this movement of women who are using outdoor spaces as a tool for mental health and awareness. So you reach out um, by www.outdoorjournaltour.com. That's our website. And you can come online there and you can join the community. And then we also have an Instagram page at Outdoor Journal Tour. And that's all one word, no underscores or anything like that. And you can join that way as well. And so we, we have not put the call to hike leads out. We probably won't do that until November or December. And we're going to take you know, 50 candidates that really have a good chance of holding a good, good hike. So we want at least 10 people that you can get outside to do this. And yeah, that'll be what that's about. And it's free uh, to be, to register for We Hike to Heal for the general portion. We do have t-shirts and journals that we sell. And to be a hike lead, there's lots and lots of swag and incentive to do that because we have some really awesome sponsors. So um it's going to be fun. I'm excited. Yeah, it's, it sounds great. I'm not sure yet which city that I will be in at the end of March, but I am definitely going to apply for this. I would love to do this with you guys. So <laughs> that would be, it would be great. Um, I'm interested. So obviously it's clear that not just, you know, with um, We Hike to Heal and with the Outdoor, outdoor Journal Tour, but in your life specifically, that journaling seems to be a through line, like something that mm-hmm. has been present for you. I'd love for you to share maybe a few of your favorite I don't know if journaling prompts is necessarily like the right terminology, maybe from your book, the journal of mindful movement, just anything that you'd love to share for folks maybe who are interested in getting started with journaling or anything, anything you want to share in that space? Oh, okay. So 
let me say, okay, first, what's my favorite thing to write about? So my favorite thing to write about there actually isn't, I don't have any text about this and I need to, cause you just reminded me. I do a lot of dream journaling and I don't even think I should call it that, but I do a lot of journaling um, as if and in advance, right? So if I have something cool that I've got going on or that I want to have going on or that I have coming up, I will journal as if that thing has already passed about how I want the experience to go. So I would say probably 30% of my journaling is that like it's, so I have, um, like for example, when I did my Ted talk, um, I wrote about the Ted talk three days before it actually happened and talked about how it was and talked about how it went in the past tense. And I was so detailed (laughs) about it that I remember years later, reading it and forgetting that this hadn't happened yet. I was like, oh my God. I was like, well, so I do a lot of dream journaling, a lot of intention journaling, um, on my own because I like reading that because it's like when you read something, it, it, it's real. Like think about like when you, even when you read fiction, like when you read like Harry Potter or something, you know, that's not a real place, but when you read it, you're like, oh my God. So there was a wand and okay. And there was a, all right. It all, you like, you just kind of, in your brain, you let it get like, okay, that's real. So when I read my dream, dream journals, I feel like, okay, that's real. And I kind of like admit that to my subconscious. So with a uh, journal of mindful movement, which is the outdoor journal tourist uh, signature journal, I call her Jami. There's a couple of things in there that I really love. One of my favorite prompts is called quality share. And um, the quality share exercise is something that you do with a, another person. It can be a romantic partner. It could be a friend, a family member, coworker, whoever, just some other person. And what you do with them, um, there's three, three columns, give, take, and then share. And the whole idea of this exercise is to try to look at another person and think about what you love about them and then what you love about yourself. Right. So you so in the give category, you think, okay, these are some qualities that I would give you about me. Right. Like I would I would I would want to give you my uh, uh, my discipline or I'd like to give you my creativity. Right. Right. And then you have some quality that you want to take. So you would say now from you, I need your organization and I need your confidence. Right. And then in the last column, it's a share column. And it's like, here's some things that we have in common and here's some things that we share. And so we both like to travel. We both like to read. We both like to write. Right. And so that that is 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 the exercise. And I've watched people do that, like with their kids. And of course, you know, tears and all types of tears when you do it with kids, because parents are always so surprised to see how their kids see them and that their kids would take anything from them, you know, mm-hmm. would want some of their qualities. Um, I've watched it happen with romantic partners and everyone being so surprised by being seen um, by their partner. So that's one of my favorite, favorite, favorite prompts is the quality share. And, oh, there's one um, called Silencing the Inner Critic, which is actually the first exercise in Jami. And um, it talks about writing a letter to your inner critic. So that voice in your head that is like saying all these things that, you know, you can't do. It's like writing a letter back to that inner critic. And it's not about like telling it that it's wrong. It's like just telling it about you. It's like, what is it that you want to tell yourself about you? So people will start to write about their accomplishments or write about things that they've overcome or write about, you know, how they see themselves. And I I love seeing that as well. Yeah. So those are such good prompts. So they're uh, all so good. I love that book. Yeah. Other (laughs) than 
journaling, what would you say kind of your day-to-day, like in your real life spiritual practice looks like? And I guess some context for this question. For the past year or so, I feel like I've been craving some kind of practice of my own, but you know, I wasn't raised in a religious or spiritual context. I feel like I don't really have anything to kind of dig into or a place to start and sometimes mm-hmm. feel sort of overwhelmed about the gap between reading about something or learning about something and then like actually in your real messy life, like what a practice looks like. And I, I know I can't be alone in feeling that way. So I'm, I'm just curious of like the act, not necessarily like the actual details. Of course, you don't have to share anything that you don't want to share, but um, you know, anything in there, whether it's like your own stuff or advice for anyone who's kind of looking to develop a practice that doesn't have a clear idea of where to start. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. So those are, those are, those are two different questions for me. So okay. what I will say is in my everyday life, what does my spiritual practice look like? Silence. Mm-hmm. Um, silence is the most valuable gift I've ever given myself. So even like today, um, I work from home and I have a tendency. What happens? You get up, you turn on the TV, you start going through your cell phone, you start this, that, and the third. Just the practice today of getting up and not turning on the television, not turning on, um, I turn on music, but I turn on biurnal beats. Um, and I had um, some biurnal beats playing and it's been playing for four hours. And the level of silence that I was able to just achieve and just working, also not talking to myself, because I will talk to myself as well, not talking to myself, just quiet. Um, had inspirations to start a another a whole nother thing for we hike to heal i said oh we should have we hike to heal wellness and it should be for wellness professionals put together a landing page for that you know um i feel like i'm really sharp and present in this conversation with you but it's because i have been silent all day it's because i've been silent all day so when you are able to cultivate some quiet you can actually hear yourself you can hear what you think you can hear how you're feeling you can hear what comes up sometimes what you hear you may not like but it's good because you at least you're present right so the first thing I would say is silence, especially in the morning when you wake up and at least 20 to 30 minutes before you go to bed. No TV, no phone, nothing. Like cut it off because that stimuli will keep working on your subconscious all night long and it'll be difficult for you to sleep. And if you can't sleep, then you're not, you know, you're, that's you put, putting yourself on a phone charger. If you can't put yourself on the charger at night and get good rest and you wake up in the morning and you're tired and you're stressed out. Also, I work out like a maniac. So I go to exercise class every day. I work out anywhere between 90 minutes and two hours every day um, purposefully to exhaust myself, but also to be able to see uh, the, the impact of physical achievement. So for me to be able to see myself sweat, um, for me to see myself lift, for me to see myself run, for me to see myself squat so I can be reminded of the strength of my body and the strength of my mind. And uh, I also do a lot of sensory stuff. So, um, and, 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 and let me say this, sensory stuff to me is passive, but really effective, right? So you aren't always gonna t- make the time to meditate. You aren't always gonna make the time to journal. You may not always have the time to read, but I can light an incense. I can listen to my biurnal beats from YouTube. And those things um, can, you know, from a sensory perspective can elevate me to a place where I'm feeling better just by being in the environment where the music is playing and where the incense is burning. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's a huge part of it. Um, comedy. Um, I don't watch any violent TV. Um, nothing where there's killing, raping, negativity towards anybody. I try not to watch that kind of stuff at all. Guard my gates. 
Um, I look at comedy stuff. I follow comedy accounts on Instagram. I don't even follow in my personal Instagram page. I don't even follow other wellness people. I only follow like comedians and like, you know, um, animals and stuff like that. Because the idea is for me to always be in this place of like wonder and like entertainment and feeling great so that when I do have some silence in my mind, I'm not going to special victims unit thinking that someone's going to rob me on my way to the store. Right. <laughs> you know, so that's kind of that's but that was my dark humor there. But no, I mean, I, but you're so I feel exactly the same way. Like my friends know that there's like a certain genre of media, which you just spoke to. That's not Nicole approved at all. Like someone will say, oh, this book's really great. Oh, but it's not Nicole approved because like you like I can't because like, if I watch something like SVU, I will never be able to stop thinking about it. it it's kind right? of like always eats at the back of my mind. I don't enjoy being scared. Like real life yeah. is fucked up enough. Like I just <laughs> yeah. yeah, that whole. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, you are not alone. Completely understand. And just like hearing the intentionality and the diligence with which you clearly cultivate sort of what the input is in your life, that I think I needed a reminder of the fact that that's possible. Like you don't have to necessarily follow other people that are doing similar work. Like you can just listen to a lot of comedy. Like there's something in that that I feel like is very, it's like an important reminder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because, and and it can be, like I said, some of it can be passive. I think that, and I actually started following this account last night. Um, shout out to one of my friends, Dr. Crystal Jones. She put me onto this account called um, The Nap Ministry. It's so sure good. That's yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, you've seen it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And everything she says, I'm like, oh my gosh, like here are things I thought but did not know how to think. And I've noticed like there's been so many times like true story where I will I will listen to my music, my biurnal beats. And it's like money attraction or wealth attraction or whatever, because that's where I like to put my trauma is in the, you know, in the abundant space. So I'm working through that and I'll put that on and I'll put on my incense and I will go to sleep and literally wake up and someone has bought something or I'll wake up and somebody is inquiring, you know, for, you know, a, a paid service for me. And I'm like, okay, you know, because at the, if I stay awake and I ruminate and think and think and think and think, I will think my way out of so many different opportunities. So I want people to know that it can be passive sometimes. Activity is required for sure. Like you can't just passive your way through everything, but it doesn't always have to be, I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm meditate for 30 minutes, I'm going to do yoga for 45 minutes, I'm going to journal for another 45 minutes, and I'm going to eat an egg white and, and, a, and a half of a grapefruit, and then I'm going to start my day. Like nothing's wrong with that, that's fine, but the idea is not for us to like work ourselves into alignment or to effort ourselves into a, a, a more a more existence that, that has more ease. The idea is for us to feel our way into that and for us to create the ease in our life that we want to experience and trust that we're still going to be successful and trust that we're still going to be provided for and trust that we're still going to be able to live a life that's worth living. It isn't about working yourself crazy, you know, oh I just... Kenya, I just wrote down the timestamp of the last like two minutes because I need to, for myself, go back and replay the last two minutes of what you just said. Like seriously, like every single day. That's the idea. Oh my God. Um, of like turning self care into like a to do list, right? Like is this the, okay? Well, first I have to wake up and then I have to do this for 20 minutes and then I have to do this for 30 minutes. Like not to say like you said that that can't work or that the activities aren't good, but it almost when I, and I, I certainly am, I've done that plenty of times. It's like finding that line between, cause I think that discipline can also be like a form of self-love sometimes, like a lot of focus. Sure. So it's like finding the line between when that's true and when, you know what I mean? Like I'm being too rigid with it. 
Right. Well, because here's what it is. And this is, um, you know, here's what it is. We have a desire to skip all the things in life that we actually enjoy, right? Because we're wanting, it's like, we're wanting this like continued state of uninterrupted, like utopian bliss. And we feel like if we can do all this stuff, then we can just like avoid pain or avoid discomfort. But that is a part of humanity. Like I think about something as simple as Ben, cause we shared that experience. Um, I got there on Wednesday night, Thursday morning, it was 80 degrees. It was freaking beautiful, sunny, went on the hike, was sweating. By Saturday, it was legitimately snowing. Big, big snow flakes on my head. It was cold. I wasn't necessarily comfortable, but for me to skip the experience of the snow was for me not to have the full experience of being in bend. Mm-hmm. Like it was fun for me to have the snow. It was a little bit inconvenient in the moment, but that was part of the experience. And it's like, there, it, it feels like so many of us are doing everything in our power to avoid anything that's even remotely uncomfortable. And we think that the egg white and the half a grapefruit and the hour of meditation will just make it so it never snows. And it's like, yeah, but even if it does snow, like you'll be okay. Like you will not melt, you know? And I think that that's the part that is so it's kind of, it's frustrating for me too, because when I have setbacks or when I have things happen in my experience that aren't lovely and that aren't 80 degrees, whether, you know, metaphorically, I'm, I'm annoyed by those things too. But then I'm like, okay, but yeah, but this is going to be a fun story. And okay, but yeah, this is going to be a redirection. Okay. But you know, there's ways in which like the experience of life and all of its ups and downs really adds to the richness of it. You, you don't really just want everything to be perfect all the time because it just would be boring as hell. And you just wouldn't even you wouldn't even be getting the fullness of your human experience. So, like, you know, this this work that we're trying to do to create this environment that never changes, that's always the same and people that always love us and, you know, things that are always, you know, always the same predictable way that makes us feel comfortable. is just, you know, it's uh, it's silly, number one, because you can't do it. But it's also not even really what your soul wants. Your soul doesn't even want that. Mm-hmm. Like your soul wants the contrast. That's why you came here. Yeah. That's why this is earth. Yeah. And it makes me think there's a a quote that I love from Dan Harris's book that I read years ago um, that I keep, I used to keep it on my desk and now I have it with me in my van where he says, it's not the pain that is intolerable, but your resistance to it. Yeah. And you know, I feel like that resonates a lot with what you're saying too, that it's like the value of being awake to the experience that is happening. Right. And it's not Mm -hmm. sort of the discomfort. That's the worst thing. It's the fact that I won't like, can't accept that it is how it is. Right. Mm. Right. Oh my God. Which like lifelong practice, right. (laughs) Trying to. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, don't get in. And like I said, it's not like I had a, I had a, a experience yesterday, actually. Um, something I was really excited about and I heard weight didn't hear no, but I heard wait. And I got into my whole narrative about, Oh, what did I do? What did I do? And I'm like, no, you didn't do anything. Like this is just, it's just wait and wait is not no. And even if it is no, like you, you're still okay. You know, it's all right. This is the story. This is going to be something that you can now include when you get ready to talk about this huge thing that you're trying to do that you heard wait and you did not lose faith and you did not fall apart and melt. Like it, 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 it will not always be perfect, but it is actually always perfect. Like it always is actually perfect. So, 
Yeah, this yeah. sort of idea of control or wanting to control all the things, I feel like that is a mm-hmm. reoccurring issue that comes up for me a lot. And oh, mm-hmm. it makes me want to ask you, do you feel like there's one or two things that, um, like issues that keep coming up for you almost like, oh, didn't I deal with this already? Like, okay, this again. Like, what do you feel like are sort of the reoccurring things that you have to keep facing? Oh, um, so the first thing that comes up for me is community stuff. So, um, I am in Atlanta, I am black and I have felt because, you know, I'm in the outdoor industry, I don't necessarily get the same, like, um, I don't get the same attention as other entrepreneurs who are in different spaces. And that has been very hard for me because, as a person of color, you know, my initial community of interest were other people of color. You know, I wanted to do this work for women of color. That's what I wanted to do. And I found that I was met with some resistance there. And I'm, and I'm not a hundred percent sure why, you know, I, I don't, uh, and that has changed drastically, um, over the years. Um, I think now that there's more information and there's more kind of people that are getting outside and doing things in outdoor spaces or doing alternative health things in general. I think that that, that, that narrative is changing, but I still deal with feeling accepted, um, feeling celebrated in spaces with women that look like me. And, um, there's a craving for me, a very real craving to have that, a very real craving to have, you know, that validation from, from other women of color, especially in the entrepreneurship community here in Atlanta, because, you know, true story, what Michelle and I have created is really big. Like it's a really monumental thing. And so to not feel like um, we're invited into the spaces where we can be a resource first, because I think that our experience with like the, the huge brands we work with and the traveling and all those things can be a resource. Um, it has been hard. That has been, that, that probably comes up for me more than anything else. Um, have some recurring issues around money um, the stuff, that stuff that I was, you know, kind of raised with, and I'm, I'm doing much, much better with it. I just read this book called you're a Badass at making money. I tell everybody I know to read it. Um, I've had two best months financially, um, in my career as an entrepreneur since I've read that book, but you know, my family still very much lives in a place that they did when I was a kid and they are still financially, you know, in a cage, even though I believe that cage is mental. And so um, the pressure that I have to provide for them, the pressure that I have to to, to be successful enough um, to to relieve that burden for for them is is big. And um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you you mentioned working through money stuff, which I think um, you know everyone's stuff is is different, but is incredibly relatable. And I, I'm going to put a link to that book in the show notes that you mentioned. I've read it as well. But I, I'm mm-hmm. curious: is there whether it was from that book or anything else? As you've been sort of digging into your own money stuff, money stories, however you want to categorize it, what has been like one of the more impactful things that's kind of helped you make shifts in that area? Well, so as of late, the big the big thing was was no. No. So there has, uh, you know, all this stuff, it all works together, right? So you got the validation stuff and the worth stuff, right? And then it comes together and again with the money stuff and it creates this cocktail of like, I'm not enough, right? And then you cannot attract a life of abundance and success from that space. And so I think what I had to know is that 
I really am enough. Um, what I've have done is enough and I am worthy of the life that I, you know, want to live. Mm -hmm. And so the word no has been very powerful for me. And it's like, every time I say no to something that is not what I want, I get another opportunity that is even bigger or greater. That is, that is what I want. And so when people come to me now and they want to, you know, access services from me, um, and they don't want to pay the honorarium or they don't want to book a, a individual session, I have been very diligent about no, no, I, I'm not available to do that. And it has been, I mean, it has been transformative for me. And also being in spaces with people who actually appreciate you and push you to be better is incredibly powerful for the money story. Because when I'm with other individuals who are successful, other individuals who are doing well for themselves, and there is no barrier for money for them, you begin to kind of reframe your own thinking about it. And you're like, well, why am I worried about this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so that's been, that has been really uh, great, but, but no. And also I'm following my intuition now. If I have a thought about something, I do it. Yeah. I just do it. I don't care if it seems crazy. I just, I do it. Uh, yeah. You mentioned, you know, the, the benefit of folks who push you to do better. Who would you say that is in your mm -hmm. life right now? Oh, so I have a friend of mine. Her name is Tracy. Um, Tracy actually owns a, um, it's called the Rain Hat Reinvented. It's, it's Hairbrella. Number one bestseller on Amazon, everybody. Um, really, really cool uh, uh, new age rain hat. And we are friends. We've been friends for probably 10 years. And she's my business bestie. And so um, she's always like, first of all, pouring into me all the time, you know, about just her belief in my gift and what I'm able to provide and who I am to her. And the way she introduces me to other people, like, oh my God, this is Kenya. Just give her 10 minutes. She's going to get your whole life together. And <laughs> no pressure, yeah. you know, and, and, but you know, but she also trusts me with all the parts of her that she doesn't trust with anybody else. And that's, you know, for her to be as big of a deal as she is, that means a lot. And she's like, well, Kenya, for you to be as big of a deal as you are, you make time for me. That means a lot. So she's definitely huge. Um, I have a really, really good uh, girlfriend, uh, Brandy, who I work out with. Um, and she is my fitness motivation. Um, she's, you know, over the age of 40 and she's got a great body. And she's always pushing me to work out harder, always pushing me to eat better and, and treat my body better and go harder in the gym. And then, of course, my wife, um, you know, Michelle is the <laughs> Michelle is the arms to every idea that I have. Like she goes out and she creates the things that I speak about and that I ideate. And she has trusted me with her, with her, with her own self by committing herself to me. So, um, She's always encouraging me, um, just verbally telling me, you know, encouraging me, but also just encouraging me with her trust and, you know, her like, okay, Kenya, let's try it, mm -hmm. you know, and yeah. it, all, it feels really good. Well, and so I'm excited that I'm going to get to interview Michelle in a month or so. Um, and obviously knowing that, you know, you two do the outdoor journal tour together. I'm curious if you can share some of the toughest and best parts of working with your spouse. Who we, um, well, let's see. Best parts. The best part is you're sharing your life with each other at a higher level. So 
with Michelle and I specifically, because our business is the outdoor journal tour and we actually do tour, we get the chance to travel to these really cool locations and we get to be together. And that's always fun. So I'm now experiencing under canvas with her and I'm experiencing um, we went to OR together. I'm, I'm experiencing these huge events that are that are major for me, but I'm experiencing this with my actual partner and it's dope. We also get to co-create something. We built something together. So should we have children? It's like, look at what we built and we can look back over the years and say, remember the first hike, remember, you know, remember this. And a lot of times the outdoor journal tour has been a unifying branch between the two of us when emotionally we weren't in the right place. Mm. Outdoor journal tour has pulled us together. We have to go on this hike. And then we go outside and we're talking and we're laughing again. And we're like, Oh, okay. Why were we mad? You know? Um, so I think that's been great. Tough part is we're very, very different people, very different people. I'm definitely a creative. I am definitely somebody who's a big picture thinker. I am not the person that gets into the details. I will, won't even pretend like I am. I am not. And, um, Michelle is Michelle's a details person. So when I come into her, like it's, for example, today I said, okay, we're going to do this. We hike to heal wellness thing. And I'm going to get these wellness practitioners involved. And, you know, and she's like, well, you're going to have to embed it on the website. And I'm like, what? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that means. Like, I don't know what embed on the website means. Right. And so, so now I feel like she's poo pooing on my idea. Right. Because I, this is a good idea. And now you're talking about embedding a website. I don't know how to do that. So now I can't do my project yet. And I'm frustrated. Um, but that's just because of the difference in our personalities and the way that we go about doing things that can make it challenging. But I, but in a lot of ways, I feel like that's a positive thing, too, because um, we push each other to be to be stronger in the areas that we would naturally be weak in. So because of her now, I do think about, OK, the details. And because of me, she does think about, OK, what is the highest, grandest, biggest way that we can do this versus like what's what's something that's like kind of simple and practical. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, that, that, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Do you have any, the two of you have any clear boundaries around, okay, we're going to be done talking about work now. Like I can just see that potentially, like I think for me, um, a really close friend and I used to be roommates and um, business partners. And obviously we didn't also have the layer of, you know, being romantic partners as well. But even that, you know, that we had to come up with, literally we could just talk about work all the time, right? And so even trying to navigate that sometimes can be challenging. And I, I'm wondering if that's something that you, I mean, I'm sure it's something you guys have talked about, but um, any particular boundaries? Um, yeah, we. so the thing is, we don't talk about work that much in person. Um, in person, we don't. So Michelle travels quite a bit. And so we talk on, I don't know if you guys remember this um, app called Marco Polo. And we talk on Marco Polo a lot about work and, but in person, we, we really don't like, so it's not, that actually isn't really a problem. We have to schedule time to have meetings about work because I am not available for it. Like, so she's like, let's talk about work. And I'm like, nah, I haven't seen you all day. I want to watch this TV show or no, let's go have a drink. Like I don't, because I, you know, we've been together for it'll be a decade in uh, March. Wait. Yeah. In March. So like, I don't want our relationship to get off track and outdoor journal tour become the relationship. Um, but on Marco Polo and via text message, when she's out of town, we talk about all the time via email. We talk about all the time, but in person, we really don't. Not that much. Interesting. So it seems it's like the boundaries have almost happened organically of these are the spaces or the containers in which these conversations tend to happen. And that works. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but the meetings are tough now. You said it was a part, hard part. Those meetings we have, the we the, the Olive Board Journal to meetings are excruciating and I hate them. So <laughs> why why is that? Because she got a spreadsheet <laughs> and she is running down every purchase that I and I'm just like, oh my God. But it's funny now because she'll say, How much more of this can you take? Are you okay for 30 more minutes? You know, because in my mind, I'm like, okay, but I want to do this thing and I want to do that thing. And did we contact Mantra Band yet? And did we, ooh, we should get, you know, like, that's what I'm thinking. And she's like, Kenya, we spent $17.15 last year. This year, we're going to bump that up to 25 And I'm just like, oh, my God, like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do it. But, you know, she'll give me a glass of wine and then I can sit through it. So. Oh, my God, you're so funny. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, these are the ins and outs of, you know, like business and relationships mm-hmm. and, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything that you really wanted to discuss that hasn't already come up? Um, oh, I hate when people ask that question and, and then um, this thing comes up. So, okay. Yeah. So I know you're going to interview Michelle as well. And she may say this is, um, too. So we want to be really clear that the outdoor journal tour is about mindfulness and movement. Um, we definitely are an outdoor, we definitely use outdoor activity as a medium by which we deliver, you know, personal development tools, but we don't consider ourselves to be a specifically and singularly outdoor organization. Um, we are a mindfulness organization organization. Our goal is to help bring personal development tools to women in the backdrop of outdoor activity. And so uh, we don't want people to shy away from us because I don't hike or I don't repel or I'm afraid of whatever. We want people to know that this is a sacred space for women um, to come and to experience a wide array of scientifically proven personal development and stress reduction tools. Um, that is what the outdoor journal tour is about. We are just as much journal as we are outdoor. Um, mm-hmm. And so we want to create, we want to, you know, create that message. We also want people to know that even though Michelle and I are two brown ladies who are married to each other, um, the organization is for all women, all women and anyone who identifies as a woman. And so um, we want to continue to uh, foster a community of diversity and a community of support uh, for women everywhere. Um, that is the reason why our signature program is called We Hike to Heal. So, yeah, I yeah. think that's it. Yeah. So then the, the last thing that I want to ask you before we start to wrap up with We Hike to Heal, why did you choose the word heal? Like, can you share what that word means to you? Well, because I feel like, so when you say, when I, when I hear the word heal, I think about like um, armor, and I think about like, so if somebody threw like a rocket armor, like the armor's still intact, but you might have a little chip here, a little chink here, a little chip, you know? And I think about this idea of all the things in life that we encounter that make us forget the wholeness of who we are, right? Little pieces, little little chunks that get pulled, pulled off of us or get knocked off of us. And for me, healing is finding that wholeness again. And I and the reason why we we use the word we hike to heal and why that's why that's, you know, the way that we decided to you know frame that is because in my experience, when I see women, I meet women in outdoor spaces, we're outside 
for different reasons than men are. You definitely have women that are, you know, extreme adventurers. My wife is one of them. She wants to go to the tallest, highest, hardest, you know, that's her thing. But uh, by and large, when women are going outside and we're seeking that quiet and we're seeking the solace of nature, it's because we're wanting to be reminded of that wholeness of who we are. Mm -hmm. And so that is the purpose of that. Like, you know, just a declaration that as women, when we go outside, we go outside for a different reason. Mm. And in my opinion, that reason is to remember our wholeness. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think that's a great place to start to wrap up. And the way that we okay. end these episodes um, is with a series, uh, this time it's eight sort of random rapid fire questions. If you are down to answer some totally random questions. All right, let's do it. What's one thing that you are feeling proud of from this year so far? Um, I am proud of, oh, I'm proud of, uh, we did a, um, OR, we were on the cover of the last episode, the last episode, the last edition of the, um, OR magazine, uh, for outdoor retailer. Yeah. It was on the cover of that. Yeah. 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 What's, you've talked about this a little bit, but what's your typical morning routine? Do you have, you know, the first hour or two of your day, what does that usually look like? First hour or two of my day, I wake up. I usually do go to Instagram. Uh, even though I hate that, I do usually go to Instagram for a second. Um, I usually want to post something inspirational, then I come off. And then I come downstairs and I turn on my Bional Beats and I get to work. So you start working pretty early in the day? Um, I start working about nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's one thing that you think that people would be surprised to learn about you? <laughs> I really like uh, offensive gangster rap music. <laughs> I have no idea what I thought you were going to say, but it was not that. So yes, in fact, yeah. I am surprised to learn that. <laughs> yeah, I, I exercise to it. The most disrespectful, heinous music. And I just, I love it. Yeah, no, I'm with you there. That's, yeah, the, the, the music that I listen to when I'm running is very different from anything in the rest of my life. <laughs> right, yeah. I don't know who that Nicole is, but she has some interesting choices. Yeah. Start up. Mm-hmm. I love that kind of stuff. Oh my God. Um, who's one person that you love following on social media? Who should I check out? Oh, Tony Baker comedy. Okay. He does voiceovers for animals and okay. it is funny. I was on it last night for 45 straight minutes. It is my favorite account on Instagram. I have never heard of it and I'm very excited to check that out. So yes, that's awesome. Um, Where either like a space or a relationship in your life, do you really feel like you belong? Oh, Um, I have another best friend that I did not mention. um, And her name is Tammy. um, And I've been friends with her for 20 years. We are kindred spirits and never had easier conversation in my life never felt more understood and more seen than when I'm with her. Mm. That's like the best description of a relationship possible. So yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. How do you pick yourself back up after disappointment? What helps you? Um, Tony Baker comedy. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, Abraham Hicks. I'm a big fan of Abraham Hicks, um, who is a spiritual teacher um, that you can find her videos on Instagram. I listen to that. I go work out until I am freaking exhausted. I eat a donut. Um, I eat a donut and then I usually try to write, you know, how I would like the situation to be. Yeah. 
Um, all super tangible tips. I love that. Um, okay, next question is about books. Which two or three books, any type of book, any genre, would you say have either had the biggest impact on you or that you recommend or reread most often? Okay, so I talked about You're a Badass at Making Money is one of my favorites. Change Your Thoughts, Change Your Life uh, by Wayne Dyer. Um, he does interpretations of the Tao and he literally reinterprets every verse of the Tao. It's amazing. Hmm. Anything by Brene Brown, but the gifts of imperfection specifically, I think that was her first book. She she got a lot of acclaim for Daring Greatly, but I always, with authors, I always say figure out what their first book was because the first book is usually really, really good too, but they don't usually get the you know acclaim into the second book. So um, The Gifts of Imperfection by Brene Brown, Buddhist Boot Camp by Timber Hawkeye, really, really great. And I'm trying to think because I'm looking at some stuff now that I read all the time. Acts of Faith by Iyanla Van Zandt, which is one of my favorites. I reread that one the most. Um, think of any more. I think yep. that might be it. Those are great suggestions. Um, last question. If you could leave our community, the listeners, with one call to action, what would it be? Maybe a question to ask themselves or a small action to take? Oh. Well, I would say... What type of woman do you want to be? You know, really sit in silence and ask yourself, what type of woman do you want to be? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? What qualities do you want people to say about you um, when you're gone? And how can you every day do something that lives up to that legacy that you're building along the way? That's a beautiful question. Yeah. What's the best place for people to find you and say hi online? Do you have a favorite way to connect with new folks? Uh, sure. So Instagram actually works. Um, we are at Outdoor Journal Tour. Uh, Michelle and I do manage that page, so you can get us on that one. Um, we are also at um, hello at outdoorjournaltour.com. That's um, our email address, and we both check that. So if you just say, hey, um, Kenya, um, then I'll get I'll get you know, the, the information there and from both Instagram and, uh, the website, you can get, um, access to our books and you can get access to, um, the courses. So we do have a new book, um, that I'm kind of promoting right now called, uh, Grayson and Grit, but all that stuff is on the website and you can go on there and see what speaks to you and then reach out and talk to me or talk to her and all that good stuff. And I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Kenya, thank you so much. Thank you. This was really awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity. And that's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for being part of the Real Talk Radio family. Speaking of the Real Talk Radio family, I want to give a huge shout out to Adam Day, my producer and sound engineer. Adam created the music for this show, and he makes everything work and flow and sound way better than I ever could. You can find him and his music and his sound editing work at adamday.net. And as I said way back at the top of the episode, this is a 100% listener-supported show. The show is made possible by awesome people like Ginny. Hi, Ginny. Hey. So we're going to do a hopefully fun little round of rapid fire questions if you're ready. Absolutely. What are you totally obsessed with right now? Well, I live in Seattle, Washington, and it just turned to fall season. So I'm obsessed with like all things fall at the moment. Um, I have all my cozy sweaters, been drinking chai tea lattes, and may have had a pumpkin spice latte or two. So uh, it's just the best time of year. 
Yeah, here in Bend, I feel like in the last three days, all the trees just like exploded with orange and red. It's so pretty. And honestly, like the trees haven't even really started changing color colors yet. It's just the super crisp air that just feels so fresh. And every time you walk outside, it's like, ah, the seasons are changing. It's just such a good feeling. Yeah, I love fall also. Um, Okay, next question. What's something intentional that you're doing this year when it comes to your money? Oh, a great question. So um, actually, a couple months ago, I started tracking my spending um, thanks to wonderful friend Kate Flanders. Um, She told me about this money tracking program that she had. It's basically just this mindful budgeting planner um, where it's a blank planner, but every day you write down the money that you're spending. And it sounds like a super simple thing, but um, I have really struggled uh, kind of understanding where my money is coming from and where where it's going. And every single day, somehow, some way in the last like two months, I've actually written down what I've been spending. And it's just made me so much more aware of like, how I exist in the world and how to adult and how to take better care of the things that I want to spend my money on um, and realizing where I'm spending money that maybe I don't want to be. So it's just been like a really, really cool process that has given me a lot more insight into how money works in my life. Yeah. The act of tracking something by hand, like handwriting, it can be super powerful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, and that's the thing too. I had been using like the mint app and all of these like online things that were supposed to help me. Um, I've been trying to use them for years, but none of them really seemed to work for me. But I think because I really like journaling and like try to go out of my way every day to write in my journal, there was something very similar about going into this budget journal and getting to journal a little bit about that. So um, definitely a really, really life-changing transformative process that I wasn't expecting it to be so big, but like has really made an impact on my life. Mm, I love that. Okay. So outside of the money, what's one thing that's going really well in your life lately? What are you kicking ass at? So I sing in this really weird choir. Um, It's uh, called the esoterics and we sing this very bizarre, like new age choral music. Um, and it is really, really difficult to learn. And one of the crazy things about my life this year is that it's just been really stressful. Job is wild, whatever, lots of change going on. Um, but I decided to join this choir up again and we're doing like 10 pieces of music and learning it in four weeks. And I feel like I know the music, like I we're on week three of it. And I, I actually worked really hard at learning the music and now can perform it with people that I care about. And it's just like a really cool thing to know that I put in the work and the effort and also have the skill to be able to do something like this. And it's really nice to be able to celebrate that. Um, and my concerts next week. So hooray. Hell yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. What's a really good recommendation for something that you've read or watched or listened to lately? I was so hoping you were going to ask this because, (laughs) um, I actually read this fantastic book called Burnout by Emily Nagowski and her sister. I forgot her sister's name, but uh, the book's called Burnout. Um, And I think it's like hands down one of the most practical, useful, funny books (laughs) that I've read in a very long time because it talks about how burnout is just such a common thing in the world we live in these days. And especially for women who face so many different stressors in life. And it not only talks about like why we're stressed, but also how to deal with that stress in a way that's super practical, like exercise for 20 minutes a day. And it doesn't have to be like crazy run 10 miles kind of thing, like do what works for you, but 
just provides so many things that make it easier to tackle the feeling of overwhelm all the time. And especially as someone who tends to overcommit and do a lot of things at once, it's nice to know that like, if I go on a walk for 20 minutes a day, that's helping me manage this workload and also be able to like be more grounded in myself. Um, and really is just an awesome read. Like it's super funny. There's lots of great anecdotes and stuff. So super, super recommend that book. I actually just finished that book as well and totally oh, yes. agree. Just even like the first chapter on the like stress completion cycle blew my mind. Right? So I'm like, yeah, Seriously. okay, this was worth it. Yeah, totally. So yep. I agree. Um, last question. What's one thing that you wish people were more open and honest about? Um, I've got to say, uh, I have really loved conversations, um, about like sex and relationships (laughs) lately. That's just been like a really big thing. Um, that, uh, it's kind of funny to like talk to people that you normally wouldn't talk to about this kind of stuff. And it just makes it feel less weird. And I, I think there's something about being able to laugh about something that feels a little bit taboo that makes us all feel a little more relaxed in our own skin and like be able to explore the things like we want to learn more about. Um, and it's just been really nice. I think the last few months to have those conversations and I hope that we can all continue to talk about that a little more. Yeah. Um, when, so obviously for people who are listening that you came to my retreat that I hosted in the Mm -hmm. UK and I feel like that in particular, we had some really good sex and relationship conversations that I still think about all the time. (laughs) I, I mean, honestly, it's great. And I feel like I've had more conversations in real life because we had those conversations. So it's just, I don't know. It's kind of fun. Yeah, totally. Um, so you're a member of our Patreon community, our support squad. That means that you are one of the people that listeners can thank for making this podcast possible. Since you have made a small and powerful reoccurring per episode pledge that helps to fund the costs of producing the show and paying the guests. Can you share why you decided to support the show? Yeah. So I, found your podcast a few years ago. And I think there's something really beautiful about supporting people for doing the work they want to do. Um, While it sounds really simple, I have never been a person that has like a super straightforward career path. And I think that the more we can support people who are doing good work in the world that like really changes lives, like do it. (laughs) It, If you donate a dollar an episode, like that is helping more people hear this work. It's helping more people have access to speakers and authors and people that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. And it's just such a beautiful way that I really feel proud of the fact that I get to contribute to making somebody else's life better just by like supporting a Patreon community. So when you asked, it really just made me so excited to be able to commit my support to something like that. Um, And I just want to see more of that in the world. Mm, I love that. I especially love how many folks in the community seem to resonate with exactly what you said, just this community supported model that if everyone who likes it gives a little bit, like that winds up paying a bunch of different people and right, like creating work for that can be shared for free with others who maybe aren't in the position to be able to contribute. Like there's just something about that community supported model that really resonates with me. So it's nice to hear that you feel the same. Yes, absolutely. So you already mentioned that you live in Seattle. Um, Do you want to share a social media link or something in case folks want to say hi? Sure. Um, You can find me over on Instagram at wildgin, G-I-N. I live in Seattle. It's a great place. I'm over in West Seattle, which I think is the best part of Seattle, not going to lie. But um, it's just a really, really beautiful city. Um, Lots to do and 
I'm always available for coffee if anyone wants to reach out on Instagram. Oh my gosh, that would be uh, that would be like the highlight for me if right? people wound up making friends like from these outros. So yes, please so reach out to yes. Jenny and get coffee. Um, and to everyone listening, if you love the podcast, if you want to help keep it going, if you want lots of bonus content plus other fun opportunities and extras, just go to patreon.com slash Nicole Antoinette and that's where you can make your pledge of $1 or more per episode. As I said, your support is what allows the show to continue and helps everyone to get paid. And I can't wait to get to know you better once you've joined our community. So until then, or until next time, here's a big virtual hug and a reminder that we're all just doing the best we can. And no matter what, we're in this together. <laughs>